You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Amen. If you will, take your Bible this morning and turn to Judges chapter 3. Judges chapter 3. Good to see you this morning. And I hope that you draw great confidence and hope and peace from that last song we just sang together. He will hold us fast. And often we fail him, we let go of him, and he continues to hold on to us. What a comfort, what a challenge this morning. Judges chapter 3, before we get to that, just a few things of note. Number one, if you could pray for uh, Brother Eric Snyder, who I think I see, yes, back there today. Pray for him. Uh, His dad, his father passed away this weekend, and family's meeting later, I think, today. Pastor Nathan, let me know that. So pray for Brother Eric and uh, just comfort for his family and uh, wisdom for them as they uh, proceed. Uh, And then a couple things of note as it relates to our church. Um, God's really blessing our church, and we had a great wellness weekend last weekend. Excited about what God has for us as we head towards spring. Uh, any of you did the warmer weather trick your plants yet? We have some daffodils kind of peeking up, just the little sprouts, uh, and a few said even some trees budded just a bit. Uh, it's kind of been an interesting winter. I'm okay with it, uh, as long as we don't have snow in like June this year as a result of this, but uh, it's been a, an interesting winter. But uh, God is blessing our church, and we're growing, and so a couple things of note, a couple things today, and then we'll talk about a couple things next Sunday as well. But the first thing is, uh, if you could pull up that first slide there, guys, we are having some issues with our parking lot, good issues. This is a, you can see the church there, it's a little dark, but you can see kind of vertically back over a road would be, maybe I should have flipped the picture, but that would be this road here for those of you geographically challenged. Um, And you'll see our north or our front parking lot. And we have um, a lot of parking in the back of our building. And what's been happening lately, just because of, of how God's been working our church, I think even last Sunday we had a few people pull in, see no parking spots, and just leave. And we don't want that, obviously. Um, and so if you could help us with a couple things as it relates to that. First of all, um, if you are a visitor here today, continue to park wherever you feel led to. Okay, this is not for you today. As well as for our seniors and those that maybe need to park closer to the building, feel free to use the senior parking that's kind of right behind you in the front of the building. There's a few handicapped spots here, as well as use the north parking. But I would just remind you, there's also some handicapped spots and parking spots right by the door behind the building. Um, and so if you're looking at the layout there, kind of between where the lighthouse pool and spa is and the new karate uh, place that's there, uh, to the left, kind of that little shopping bag, I think it is the sec- the blue one there. In between, we have a two-way street that's there, or alley. Um, and so if you just come in our parking lot and go kind of, if you come in past the sign, if you're on that side of the sign, you can just go straight back. And there there is well over 100 parking spots behind our building. Um, and so here's what I would ask, if possible, um, if those of you who are in decent health, and let's try not to milk that too much if you're want to park close to the building. If we can start to try to fill from the back to the front a little bit more, I'm not saying you have to park all the way in the back corner, but that would help us out just with flow. And if we can start working on that next Sunday, we have Easter coming up, um, some really uh, key big uh, days. And so that will help us to get in practice for that. And then also just another thought would be, we may eventually need to order some more chairs, but 
The back seats, I know, are the prime seats, but just think about that from a visitor's perspective, okay? Be like the carnies who sit in the front row and my wife, okay? Uh, yes, yeah, there you go, Rachel. Pat on the back there. Um, but uh, anyway, just those couple of thoughts as we think about moving into spring, uh, and that would be a huge help to us. And then the second thing is we're introducing an app. If you open up your bulletin there, I think it's the second to the last page on the inside left, um, are some instructions. And I'm just going to pull open the app to give you just a few things that jump out to me. So there's basically a couple of purposes for this in two different audiences. So there would be the audience of anyone who's visiting today or is a friend of our ministry. There's some benefits you can get from the app. And there also are some exclusive benefits uh, for those who are members of the church. Uh, so I want to talk about those for just a second. Um, and then uh, you can read through the instructions. So in general, if you will look at the first paragraph there, it talks about how to download the app. The app does not have the church logo. Um, it just has, uh, let me pull it, church center is what you'll see on your app, uh, on your desktop or on your uh, tablet, on your um, screen there. You'll download it. You can log into it or you can access it. It'll give you like a code to authorize it to your phone. Anyway, so you can download it. And then on the app are some things just for the general consumption. Today's bulletin, you can have a digi- you can click on a little tab and it'll give you a digital copy of that. Uh, past sermons, so if one time's not enough and you'd love to hear yours truly again or that guest preacher that you get a little bit of a break from me with. Um, sermons, then YouTube, so it gives you a direct link to our YouTube channel and then Facebook. So those four little tabs are on it. Um, and then at the bottom, there is a way you can give through the app Um, You can also click on groups if you're part of our small groups, even if you're not a member, and click on your group and you actually can see your class, like who's in your group, and it gives you some ability to connect with them. Um, And then the key feature that really launched this initiative, because I'm not all about just giving you more things to download or things to interact with, is for our church membership specifically, a lot of us have a very short history with each other. God's brought a lot of new people here. So we who've been here longer don't know you real well, and vice versa. Probably you guys are trying to keep track of names and faces. And so really the spirit of this, I don't know if you remember the old days where you'd have Olin Mills come and do a church directory, then you get lit up with emails and spam for months to come. Um, We didn't want to do that because it's outdated the moment you print it because someone new comes and someone old leaves. So what we're asking you as a member is specifically to focus on where it has about giving us access to contact information and a picture. And as soon as you get into the app, you'll see me. I just took a picture in our North Lobby. It's not a formal picture. Hopefully you can still tell it's me. I tried to use some filters like I talked about last Sunday to look better. It didn't work. But anyway, um, so and what it does then is when you click on, and this is just for members, so we're giving access to each other. Um, This isn't for general consumption, and those that are praying about joining, you would be invited to this after you join our church uh, as a member. But you'll see just a little picture there, and then, oh, that's their wife, and oh, that's the name of their children. So it gives us a way to kind of connect and build rapport with each other, and that database is always updating and refreshing uh, as we onboard. Now, here's what I'll say lastly, and we'll get into our text today. It doesn't work if you don't participate, okay? So we need you to, if you're a member of our church, we'd ask you to go to that section. All the details are there in the bulletin. Um, and then the last thing I would say is in a few weeks, we see a lot of lag on this. We may actually put a help desk in the lobby, and you can walk out with your phone, and we literally will help you with it, okay? 
Um, a few of you mentioned also you may not have a smartphone, and so apps to you is what is an app, okay? Or I don't have access to that. I believe they're also, Pastor Dave, is a, they can go online, right? So you could use your desktop or your laptop, uh, and we'll make sure we include those instructions in next week's bulletin. But those are some questions about that. So if you have any other questions about that, probably don't talk to me. Talk to Pastor Nathan or Pastor Dave, and they'll help you get up to speed with that. But looking forward to that having a part in our church moving forward. All right, Judges chapter 3. And let's look, if you will, at verse 7. We're looking at, again, resuming our series uh, as we study through every generation, a study on the relentless grace of God as described in the book of Judges. And we now get to, we're done with the introductions of chapter 1 and chapter 2, and now we enter into the first sequence of this cycle that we see the Israelites going through. Verse 7, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, Notice this ne- these next two words, and forget, or forgot the Lord their God, and served Balaam and the groves. Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold, him into the hand, sold them into the hand of Ku, uh, uh, Chushan, uh, Rishathim. All of you are glad you didn't have to read that today. King of Mesopotamia, and the children of Israel served Cushan Rishathim eight years. Go down to verse number 12. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And so we're looking at today grace for, as you see there in verse number seven, the forgetful generation. Grace for the forgetful generation. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you today for your goodness and your grace and your just your tenacity, Lord, to have relationship with your people. Lord, people made a, a people made up of people like us with all of our shortcomings. Lord, of all the things we struggle with, none is a greater struggle for us than to, to be so prone to forget you uh, in our ways, in our thoughts, in our directions, in our initiatives, in our reactions. And Father, thank you that you are greater than our minds, you're greater than our feebleness and our frailty of thought. And that, Lord, you have thoughts toward us of peace. You have a a plan for our lives. You have a purpose. And thank you, Lord, that that plan and purpose rests not upon what we think of you or what we forget about you, but what you know of us. And, uh, Lord, what you think about us. Pray, Father, you would use the examples of this text today to challenge us, to encourage us. Lord, we can remember you. We can come back to you no matter how many places and times we've forgotten you. And you are ready and able to deliver us and to direct us and just renew that confidence in you, we pray. Bless this study. Be honored in it in Christ's name. Amen. Somebody was talking about as we age, one of the things that that happens is is our sense of time changes. Specifically, we tend to want to go to bed earlier, right? And whether we want to or not, we tend to get up earlier. Um, and somebody was talking about the, just how early they're going to bed now. I don't know if you can remember the last time you stayed up beyond 9 p.m. I mean, that's like just edgy, existent for you maybe today. Um, but he was talking, somebody said this, I'm not saying I'm old, I'm just saying that my dinner time and my bedtime are getting dangerously close together, okay? There's just not much of a gap now between those two events in my life, that rhythm. You notice that as we move through life, that things that we used to know and not just know, but believe in and have confidence in that as the years go by, we tend to maybe forget that or to let that conviction fade uh, over time. 
We see that happening in the life cycle of Israel, and yet we see God being faithful uh, in the midst of that. May I just say this as we begin today, no matter how far and how long it's been since a generation has remembered God, listen to me, he will not let us forget him. We can ignore him, but we cannot forget him. And the reason he's unforgettable is because he refuses to be so. And that to me gives me hope that despite a world that I feel like is not, doesn't seem to remember God and does belligerently ignore him, um, that God still is faithful to pursue his people and to draw men to uh, himself. And so we see clearly in the text today this example of how God provides for us uh, his grace and mercy when we forget him. Now, we're beginning, if you remember in chapter 2, he gives this cycle, right? of this happens, then this happens. We talked about that cycle a few weeks ago. Now we have the first example of that, a couple examples of that found in chapter 3. And so God here, though he confronts the sin, he always offers a way back uh, to him. And so we're going to talk about briefly today the first three judges, Othniel, Ehud, and Shamgar. And these three men and how God used them, despite even their own shortcomings, at least some of them, Uh, to bring about this renewal in the ranks of his people. So the question today is this, in light light of so many trying to forget or ignore God in our day, how do we still believe that that he remembers his people? So let's today talk about two areas of spiritual amnesia, forgetfulness, that God still offers grace to us when we find ourselves uh, in their throes. Number one, let's talk about, first of all, where we struggle with forgetful abandonment. All right? Forgetful abandonment. Um, Miss Tony posted this this past week of their kids. They did had a Valentine party, I think, homeschool co-op, and they had different themes. I, you remember back when you did Valentine boxes and then all your classmates would put them in and you would decorate the box? This was Jonah's uh, box. And it actually is it's a box dressed up like a pastor. I mean, what's more lovable than a pastor? I mean, that's just like the embodiment of love and affection. Um, but you can see he's got a tie. Can you see that there? And I think a little name badge, hello, my name is Pastor, or something like that, in a little white square there, the heart, and that's the head. So I don't know if that's what he's saying, I look like, I have a heart shape. I know I have a big head, but I don't know if it's like that. And he's got a Bible and a little podium. Um, I would love to think that Jonah will, when he's 18 years of age, think pastors are amazing, all right? I think he does maybe, uh, maybe doesn't know me real well or other pastors, but as of right now, he's into that. You notice that as we move through life that we begin to forget things or not savor things we used to. Um, And I think this is true not in just relationship with some person or type of profession, it's also in relation to our God. I remember when I was a teenager acting like I was much more self-sufficient than I actually was. Um, And so I'm not picking on the teens today. I was of this same mindset. Some of our teens may uh, be this as well. Somebody said this, I love how teenagers just be like planning stuff. They got no money. They got no ride. They got no permission. They got no nothing, but they are planning, man. They're going to do something, okay? Um, And sometimes with God, we're that way, aren't we? We just forget about him. We just kind of do our own thing, and we pretend like we can keep this thing going uh, on our own. And, and we have a heavenly father that not only tolerates that, but still loves us through those seasons of life where we abandon him, we forget him, 
he is still faithful. So let's talk about a couple things quickly as it relates to this mindset of God that's so gracious even when we abandon him in our thoughts. Number one, jot this down. Know that God will feel strongly. God will feel strongly about our forgetful abandonment. The temptation is when we forget God that somehow God also cools toward us. And that he kind of just overlooks, he doesn't even notice as we begin to wander from him, as we begin to abandon him. And listen to me, nothing could be further from the truth. Just as a parent can feel when a child is pulling away, that coolness that maybe exists between you and an adult son or daughter that you have today, you acutely are aware of that, are you not? Even when they are not, or they don't care about it. And so God, our Father, who loves us perfectly cares very deeply, feels very strongly when we abandon him with our thoughts. And notice two things God gives us that kind of gives us a window into his heart as it relates to his children, both in Judges 3 as well as this morning, 2023, uh, in Wayne County. Look here in verse 7. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served Balaam in the groves. Notice verse 8. Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot, was hot against Israel. Number one, notice that he uses strong words. In verse seven, what does he call this abandonment, this forgetfulness of their God? It wasn't just a minor lapse of, de- of, of decision in their discernment. He calls it what? Evil. He uses strong words. Um, and so this idolatry, this deliberate act of shelving Yahweh and choosing to bring out and to fall before the idols of Baal and of the groves. And the word groves there in verse 7 is Asherahs, um, which that's the actual word there, which is a reference to wooden pillars or images used as objects. They were visual representations of these false gods, and they would go out and worship them in what were referred to as groves. And so they, they did these acts on a regular basis. God labels it as evil. Now, what led to verse 7? We can't miss this. Go back to verse 6. And they took their daughters, who? The, the Canaanites, the, those who they were not to marry back in verse 5. They took their daughters to be their wives, gave their daughters to their sons, and then what? Served their gods. It's interesting. Verse 6, the Israelites would have said it was because of love. And God in verse number 7 says, no, it's evil. It's evil. The only way we're going to get back to God, remembering God and seeing God work in our generation, is to use God's dictionary and God's vocabulary about what we have forgotten about Him. Where we've faded in our thoughts and our convictions, God here labels it as evil. And so the starting point of fresh hope in God comes not from ignoring or excusing evil, but by calling it what God calls it, strong words. I know when I don't feel strongly about something, I just, whatever, maybe is the word I use, or hmm, God here cares, and he uses very strong words. All right, verse 8, as we just read, therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. Number two, strong anger. So he exhibits strong words. God feels strongly when we abandon him, first with his words, number two with his anger. And so God punishes Israel. Notice the end of verse 8 by selling him in the hand of this man, this king. Uh, His name uh, means this, Cush, 
man of double wickedness. This man was a reprobate. This man was a vile person. Not a friend, but an absolute foe. Um, And so God, in his anger, he gives this man access to rule and to reign over uh, his people. Now, what's interesting to me, as tough as verse verse 8 is, I love the fact that verses 1 to 7 of chapter 3 is all about what the Israelites did and didn't do. And then in verse 8, God takes over. And though it's a tough verse, God is in control here. The God who loved his people and longed for them to be back in relationship with him. The rest of this story, as it relates to Othniel, God is the director of the script. And so even in judging his people, God here is acting kindly. Uh, What if God had not brought this pressure? They would have continued to forget God. They would have continued to wander further from God. And so God, in his grace and mercy, cared enough to bring consequences for their amnesia. And so he sends this suffering not to pay them back, but to redeem them. And he does this still with his people uh, even today. I don't know if you've ever been in a setting, I'm thinking especially of like a store, especially like an impulse alley, you know, as you're trying to get out of the store and there's all these overpriced little snacks and trinkets and things. uh, And you're going through there. I don't know if you've ever watched a young, spoiled toddler or um, three, four, five-year-old, just brat. Let's be blunt about it, okay? It's not, my sons were never that, but yours were, okay? And, uh, and have you ever watched a child where they just keep asking for things, and sometimes parents who maybe don't understand what's going on are just out of, just, they're just tired, understandably so. They just try to give the kid what he wants. Have you ever noticed a kid who basically is trying to, trying to get their parent to say no to them? And they just keep asking, and they just keep asking, and they just keep asking. Our God is not that kind of parent. He's going to tell us no. He's going to stop us when we wander in our thoughts and in our minds and in our priorities, not because he hates us, but because he loves us. So think on this before we move to our second sub-point here this morning. Would you allow your heart to be encouraged and challenged by how deeply God has moved, not just by your positive attributes, but by your worst forgetful failures. Where have you forgotten how much God cares about your spiritual shortcomings? God knows where you're at today, and he knows where he would prefer you were, and he cares about that gap. Would you remember that today? Would you draw comfort and strength and hope from that instead of resenting it, rejoice in it? All right, verse 9. So God sends these consequences King of Mesopotamia lays down the law, verse 9, and when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel. So this is the first of these judges we will study. Raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel who delivered them, even Othniel, the son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother. Number two, So know that God will feel strongly about where we have forgetful abandonment. Number two, know that God will respond thoroughly. He will respond thoroughly after we have forgetful abandonment. Um, The guys in the room will like this. Uh, We're just, this is just us. This is, ladies, you're going to be like, this is the dumbest thing ever. Okay, I'm sorry. But here's the scenario. Okay, you're in an arena with the following options. 50 hawks, 10 crocodiles, three brown. It has the list of things, okay? You can read them. 
Here's what you have to decide, men. Your life depends upon it. Pick two to defend you. The others attack you. The goal is to survive for one hour. Which of those do you pick? And then tell me why, okay? Um, I I tried to work through the list. I don't know, but I don't want 10,000 rats against me. That's all I know, okay? I don't know if they can defend me, but I'd be running around like a girl screaming at the top of my lungs um, if those were against me. Have you ever been in an arena of your own choosing? You've got yourself in a pickle, as we would say. You've gotten yourself into a scenario that you can't get out of, and you're just trying to survive. Can I tell you this? If God is on your side, who can be against you? Like there are scenarios and there are mistakes that we make and there's, there's just blunders that we make mentally and emotionally and psychologically, all these things that we do. But if we will let God be our defender, if we'll let God be our deliverer, um, there's nothing that he cannot uh, cause us full recovery. And so we must believe in this, that God, the God of all grace is sufficient to respond, listen to me, to the consequences we brought upon ourselves. Isn't that amazing? So the God who owns our, 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 our forgetfulness and sends some consequences then takes responsibility to deal with those consequences. That's, that's double dipping on God's grace, isn't it? He sent the consequences, and then when they cried out to him, he dealt with the consequences. And that's really just the rhythm of our life with God over and over, this God who responds thoroughly. And I would give you two things quickly that we see God being very careful and thorough in as he hears the cry of his people and he sends them deliverance. Number one, notice that he sends them thorough leadership. Leadership that is thorough. Leadership that deals with the problem. Uh, At the beginning of verse 9, you notice that they're under physical oppression. Finally, after eight years, they cry out to God. That just shocks me as we read through Judges how long it takes the Israelites I mean, think about all that had died, all that had suffered, all that lost. It took them eight years to be willing to say, God, we need your help. And it's going to get longer as we move through the book. But the moment they turn to God, God hears them, and God responds to the need uh, that they are facing. And so we see them repenting. They turn from worshiping these idols and these groves and these bales, these little lords, And they turn back to God. Repentance. Repentance. A change of mind. A change of mind that results in a change of direction. And so they turn back to the Lord. And notice who he chose is Othniel. Um, If you go back to chapter 1, in verse 13, we don't have time to read this, but beginning in verse 13, you'll notice that it references Othniel. had to have been his nephew, one generation removed. Couldn't have been his brother because only Caleb and Joshua survived, right, of their generation. Um, And so it was someone beneath him, but in his family, there's the expression of brother. And Othniel expresses faith and courage, and you see him exhibiting that in the text. This is the guy that God chose to deliver his people. One who had already been thorough to claim and to to conquer that which God had entrusted to his tribe and family. And so his chosen leader is Othniel, this wholehearted leader. In fact, this really, this cycle we're about to look at, or we've already jumped into this morning, is the only cycle that really goes perfectly. um, That everything lines up with the description given back in chapter 2. Othniel is the only judge also, the only man other than Joshua that's really uh, mentioned in any detail that there's no flaws, there's no issues with him. 
Um, and so God gives him this, this, them this leader uh, to help them with the issues that they faced. And it's interesting, if you go back to chapter 3, I love this, the, kind of the ambiguity of the text sometimes is, is a gift from the Lord. Um, it's precise, and yet sometimes, if this makes sense, precise in its ambiguity. Look, if you will, at verse number uh, 10. I'm sorry, verse 9, the middle of the verse, it says, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel. Then notice this phrase, who delivered them. And my question to you is this, who is the who referring to? And I would say to you, probably, it is both. Is it the Lord? Is it Othniel? Is it both? Uh, I think we see God ultimately is the one responsible, but he uses a human vessel. He uses a chosen vessel to bring his deliverance to his people. And so thorough leadership, God sends the way of his people. Having sent trouble, God now sends leadership. The whole script is directed by God. And so he chooses this leader who will lead them out of these consequences. Verse 10, how's it all go down? And the spirit of the Lord came upon him, Othniel, and he judged Israel and went out to war. And the Lord delivered uh, Chushan Rishathim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed against uh, Chushan Rishathim. And the land had rest, notice, 40 years, and Othniel, the son of Canaz, died. So in verse 10, we see that the Lord sells the Israelites in the hand of their oppressors back in verse 8. Now he turns this enemy king into the hands of his leader, Othniel. And so God is the one in charge. Um, and so God sent the trouble, God sent the spiritual leader, and then you notice in verse number 10, it's clear, the spirit of the Lord came upon him. God sends his spirit. And so God is the one in charge of restoring and renewing his people. Just a caveat here, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit's relationship with God's people was different than it is today, right? We understand that. We're going to talk about the spirit coming on Samson later on in the book of Judges. But we today, when we receive Jesus Christ as Savior, we would say, kids would often, you, you, we ask Jesus into our heart. Technically, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, right? I know what they mean when they say that. When we receive Jesus Christ, we have the Spirit who comes and lives within us, right? We become the temple, the earthly dwelling place of God. Um, and it's interesting because when God sends revival in the Old Testament, he tends to do it through a singular vessel that kind of primes the pump or sets the tone, and then God's people follow that. If you go to Acts chapter 4 and verse 31, it says the Holy Spirit come, came on all of them. Amen. And so the Spirit today, listen to me, is not just for a select few elite leaders, it's for all of us. If you know Jesus Christ is Savior, you have the Spirit within you. And here's the thought today, that means you and I, together with the Spirit in us, can be a part of causing others to remember God to come back to God. We're a part of the solution. And so it's been decentralized. It's been given to each New Testament believer who is in Christ. And so this thorough leadership God sends in Judges chapter 3, we also have a part in in our day. All right, go to verse 11. We just read it. The land had rest 40 years. And the Othniel, the son of Canaz, died. Don't we love the fairy tales? And they lived happily ever after. Don't we wish that's how this story ended? We know because there are a lot more chapters to follow, chapter 3. In fact, another one here even in chapter 3. But we see that the rest, number 2, you could jot this down, thorough rest, though it was thorough, 
They had peace. It was not forever. The episode here in Judges 3 does not end with peace. It ends with what? Death. It ends with death. Othniel was a great judge. The peace was real. The the peace was thorough, but it did not last. Why? Because the one it depended upon also did not last. And here's the beauty of this. We're going to look at this all throughout the book of Judges, and I stress this when we begin. The judges in the book of Judges are not heroes to imitate. They are reliefs with all of their flaws to contrast against the judge who alone is faithful to deliver his people once and for all, and that is Jesus Christ who, by the way, never will what? Die. (laughs) He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so this peace that often is compromised by our forgetfulness uh, is secured for and stabilized and persevering through the presence and power of Jesus Christ. The one who in Revelation 1 and verse 18 said, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. That's the judge upon which we come back to God even when we've most forgotten him. Um, this week, and many of you have been sharing, and teens, I hope you're excited about as well, but many of us will start meeting with our, in our mentor relationships between the teens and the adults who volunteered, and Caleb drew the short straw. Uh, Richardson, he's stuck with me, and so we're meeting for lunch this week. And uh, I was think he feel, feels called to ministry, and so I think that'll be a unique relationship that we have and anticipate with him as a senior But uh, I was thinking about this as far as like leadership, how you're always just a few years removed from passing it on to the next guy. I don't know if you sense that or not. Life moves so quickly. And at the risk of you getting excited today, have you thought about the post-Pastor Snowed era of your life and of this church when you're done with me? You're not stuck with me anymore. And either I burn out, I flame out, hopefully not those first two, or I age out into something else or move on to glory with the Lord. But we all know today that we are, our leadership is a very limited window, isn't it? Our influence, the little bit of time that we play. And I'm not saying that my contributions in this place and in my family don't matter. But at best, my leadership is just a stopgap till Jesus, the judge, shows up. Who, by the way, will establish peace that will last for a thousand years on earth. <laughs> versus the few that Othniel was able to bring in. And then for all of eternity, this peace that will never end. And so we look ultimately to Jesus as the one who fills in the gaps of others who are limited in their leadership. Think about this question today, even if, or this thought, even if God's people forget or forsake him, he is always one prayer away from renewing us. A prayer in Jesus' name, asking for God to renew us, to remember, to cause us to remember uh, who he is and what he longs to do for us. This question, do you believe that, do you believe this enough to start or to keep praying for peace in your generation and the ones who will follow because of the judge who is the same yesterday, today, and forever? I think sometimes we pray and then we move on and we forget that we ask God to do something and that sometimes God's going to do that or follow through on that prayer. But years and years later, a friend of mine just shared this with me the other day. He said, don't forget, prayers prayed long ago. You'd be surprised how many things happening today were prayed for long ago. God is deliberate. He is not delinquent. 
God, he will answer those prayers. He will follow through on what we're asking him to remember, help us to remember, help us return to, are we willing to ask him anew and afresh even this morning? All right, number two, go to verse 12. So we have, we have the, the crisis, we have the resolution of that crisis. Othniel dies, 40 years of peace, and as is very typical when we have some easy times and seasons, we start forgetting things again that we once knew. Verse 12, and the children of Israel did evil again. Notice that word. In the sight of the Lord, and the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Number two, so forgetful abandonment. Number two, God is still faithful to extend his grace when there is forgetful repetition. Forgetful repetition. If I were to ask you today, um, who is a famous gangster that you can think of? Maybe from like the Chicago land days, um, and especially, I'm thinking like the Dick Tracy nicknames, you know, um, I don't know, that's, that's aging me and some of you, but um, just some of those handles, you know, uh, I, I was just looking up some of them, some ones I had not heard of or hadn't heard in a while. Uh, any of you heard of TikTok Tenenbaum? Um, he was, he had bomb abilities, okay? Um, guy named Cadillac Frank, and then the one I'm familiar, Scarface, right? Uh, uh, Capone. And uh, all of those were nicknames that they got from their past, Right? things that they had done that they were known for, either mistakes they made or crimes they committed or things that they were held in renown for. Um, this is a totally cheesy thing, but last night I said to my family, I said, have you ever read that where your, like your gangster handle is the following two things, the color shirt you're wearing and then the last thing you ate? Okay, so think about that for a second today. I know this is, this is no spiritual application just to keep you awake today. Um, and so I said that to our family. We all went around. We looked at our shirt color, and we said we were eating. And Ian said to me, he said, uh, black. He had a black shirt. And then he said, we had ordered Chinese. We came back from boys' tournament. So he said, rice. And he's like, no, it's Popsicle. So his name, his handle is Black Popsicle. That's, that's Ian's gangster handle. So I don't, you probably got some weird ones as well. But it, the name comes from what we last did or what we're known for in the past. Any of you in the room, if you are known before God by your past, that one of the things you would be known by is repeat offender. I would. I would. Over and over and over again. And may I say to you today, we never especially repeat things with God that are failures unless, listen to me, first of all, we forget him. Because why in the world will we do again what causes guilt and shame and brokenness of fellowship between us and God? And so these repeated things are often things we don't think God can restore us in. I don't know that I'm as concerned about my generation and its issues intrinsically. It's the fact we just keep doing them. And we're doing the same things that our forefathers did and those before them. And we just repeat, repeat, Repeat. And in the book of Judges, God shows to us a side of himself that, yes, is direct in confrontation, but gracious in offering to us a way back. You may want to write this down. The only sin outside of the grace of God is not the repeated one, but the unrepented one. Key statement today. The only sin outside of the grace of God is not the repeated one, but the unrepented one. 
And God, and I'm not saying we're flipping it in. I'm not saying we shouldn't be broken and, and, and there should be a pause before we come to God with our contrition and our repentance and our sorrow, godly sorrow that works repentance. But God says to us um, that the only sin outside of his grace is not the repeated one, but the unconfessed one. And so the unrepented one. And so may we come to him over and over, not forgetting him when we fail him. And so we see this same issue in the life cycle of uh, Israel. Let's talk about a couple things in this area of forgetful repetition. Number one, know that God will confront personally every forgetful repetition. Know that God will confront personally every forgetful repetition. And here's what I think often happens. This is just me in my life, and probably this is true of others in the room is that after we fail God a few times in a given area, I think we sometimes believe God just kind of passes us off to a third party. Okay, idiot so-and-so, here they are again. You know what, I'm going I'm to offboard this. I don't have time for this. I'm not going to be personally involved in seeing this person restored. Maybe we'll let them be restored, but I'm not going to be personally engaged in that. And nothing could be further from what the text clearly gives us this morning. Look at verse 12 again. Maybe you caught this when we read it. And the children of Israel did evil again. So there's the repetition in the sight of the Lord. The Lord strengthens Eglon, the king of Moab. Notice the end of verse, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Did you notice that? Two times it stresses in one verse that they did it in the sight of the Lord. And so know that God will confront personally every forgetful repetition of sin. So number one, jot this down, personal sight. God sees it himself. He notices it. He sees it. He responds to it. Uh, and so they do again this evil that they had done prior. God sees it, and God is about to deal with it. And you notice at the end of verse 12, the Lord, not an angel or not some third party, strengthens um, the king of Moab. And so now God's sovereign control over human affairs is exhibited again as he gives to this man power to rule over, to oppress the Israelites. Um, and so this idea of God seeing our forgetfulness, God always sees is both a convicting thought, yes, but it also is a comforting thought. God is not just a helpless spectator while we forget him. He's not just a passive surveillance system. He is sovereign. He is in control. And he's going to come after us to pursue renewed relationship with us. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13 reminds us, Neither is any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He sees and someday we will give account to him directly and personally. And so it is a personal thing between you and God when you forget him. Verse 13, and he gathered unto him, this king, Eglon, he gathered unto him the children of Amnon and Amalek and went and smote Israel and possessed the cities of palm trees, the city of palm trees. Verse 14, so the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. Number two, so personal sight. Number two, personal increase. We see the increasing pressure that God brings to bear upon his people. This is worse than their oppression before. God's people didn't just face one king like they did back in verse 13 or back in verse uh, number nine, this one that they cry out against that's described back in verse number eight. 
Now it's a, an alliance of enemies. Verse 13, he teams up with others to oppress together um, the Israelites. They also take possession of the city of Palms. You know what that city is a reference to? Jericho, a place where God gave his people as they obeyed him victory over their enemies. Now it's a place where they're being conquered by their enemies. Um, and so we see this ratcheting up of God's consequences to them. Further, you notice in verse 14, the endurance of this oppression was what? 18 years, a decade longer than the previous oppression they had um, described earlier in verse 8 and 9. And so the, the, the increase of the consequences, God is intricately and personally involved in bringing them to bear in the lives of his children. One of the things I love about God, I don't like it about God, but I love it about God is that he will do whatever it takes to get our attention. And one of the things I've noticed that when we begin to forget him, he has to raise the bar. He has to intensify the consequences. And our God loves us enough to do that, not to ruin us, but to restore us to himself. And so these compounding effects of sin and forgetfulness, God is still willing to work uh, in them. The other day I heard someone say this. I think this is good because God ha- we have God's attention, but he also wants our attention. And somebody said this, when God doesn't have your attention he will disturb what does. And that's what happens here, is God doesn't have their attention. He doesn't have their focus, and so he disturbs what does. In our lives, when we see those disturbances, instead of just passing them off as circumstantial or what in the world, maybe instead we should ask, where have I focused on these things instead of upon God that I should remember? And so God here sees them, sees the struggle, and confronts it personally. If we're not careful this morning, we convince ourselves that we're wearing God down with our repetitive rebellion, that somehow we can just wear him down. Where do you this morning need to abandon that mindset with your, quote, little sins that you enjoy and feel like garner so little attention from God when nothing could be further from the truth? I think the thing that... that um, it's convicting. We talk about God sees all things, but it also is really comforting. Men, whatever you're guilty of this last week, God was there in that moment when you were in the full throes of your sin or your failures or your doubts or your resistance to God. Same with the the ladies, same with the teenagers. God knows where you were and he knows where you're at this morning, what your mindset is. If you're hearing his word, if you're responding to his spirit or not, he's going to do whatever he can to bring you back, to bring you closer to him Would you be willing to be open to that activity in your life today? All right, secondly, let's spend a few minutes here as we finish. Know that God, number two, or capital B there, will deliver uniquely. This is a key point today. Know that God will deliver uniquely after our forgetful repetition. God does things in unique ways. Um, if I were to ask you today, what is the most unique food you've eaten? And typically when we say that's unique, we don't necessarily mean that as a compliment, right? Uh, you get a Christmas gift, you know, that's a gift. That's just, that's, that's a gift. All right. Or that's, that's unique. I've never seen that or heard of that or thought I would loathe that as much as I do. Okay. Whatever the case may be, but the word unique, we don't necessarily use that, uh, in a positive way. A friend of mine who's traveled more than I have sent me the other day a video of a, it's, this is a delicacy. I didn't ask the price. I'm sure this is not a cheap uh, menu item, but it's, it's, it's a Chinese delicacy called yin yang fish. Um, and it's a fish whose body is deep fried while its head is protected. 
And what's weird about it is they cook it in a way. I know that this will push lunch back a bit, okay? That's always my goal as pastor. Where they don't cook the inside of the fit, where it's still moving as it's sitting on your plate. And they try to time it out. And the one they had was the fish was like puckering up its lips while it's sitting on the dish. And the goal is that it would survive at least a half hour until the presentation of the dish and the person can dig in and eat as the thing is still moving. That, that isn't just unique, okay? There are other words that come to my mind that, whoa, okay, is one of them, okay? Uh, I don't think it's a word, but I just, oh, that's not for me. Unique things. I'm a meat and potatoes guy, okay? Heidi's broadened my perspective a little bit. I, I like things I can trust and count on, things that are predictable. Here's one of our biggest struggles, and I hear this all the time in our ranks, especially from those that are my age or my senior, all right? Pray for Brother John. His birthday's today. He is much older than me. He's actually just about a week. My birthday's next week. He just turned 43. Um, but as you move through life, as you age, the tendency is to want God to do again in the same way what he did in past times. I hear this all the time. Why can't we have another brother so-and-so. Man, if we just had that kind of an evangelist or that kind of a leader, man, God could do something in our day. And God sometimes does follow patterns. I'm not saying that he doesn't. He's bound to his word. But God does things in unique ways in each generation. And I'm thankful for that. Uh, The hesitancy or the, the tendency that we have, though, is to try to see God do it in a predictable way when God wants to do it in a brand new and unique way. And there's always a first time for everything, including what God does. And I think often we're missing what God's trying to do to bring us back to him in our day because we want him to do it just the way we've already seen him or experienced him to do it. And here's the problem with that. The methodology now becomes our God or our deliverer instead of the God who sends the deliverance. God, I think, keeps us on our toes to remind us it's about him. He's going to do it his way on his terms Our job is just to be ready and prepared to lean into and to participate in what God is doing. Uh, And so we see him doing this in a very unique way uh, in this story of Ehud, um, an amazing name, all right? So if you're grasping for a name for your next child or grandchild, I just submit that to you for your consideration, all right? Let's talk about this quickly as we finish. Notice in verse 15, We see the same pattern again. When the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, a man left-handed. And by him, the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. Uh, Let's read just the summary of the story here. We don't have time to break this down length. But Ehud made him a dagger, which had two edges of a cubit length. A cubit would be the span from the elbow of a man to the the middle finger, the longest extremity of the hand. That's the distance here. Um, So a a decent size uh, blade. And he did gird it under his raiment upon his right thigh. All of that, the left-handed, the right thigh are significant as we move forward. Verse 17, he brought the present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. And Eglon was a very fat man. All right, the scripture just puts it out there, right? Verse 18, And when he had made an end to offer the present, he sent away the people that bear the present, but he himself turned again from the quarries that were by Gilgal and said, I have a secret errand unto thee, O king, who said, Keep silence, and all that stood by him went out from him. And Ehud came unto him, and he was sitting in a summer parlor, which he had for himself alone. And Ehud said, I have a message from God unto thee, and he arose out of his seat. 
And Ehud put forth his left hand, took the dagger from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. And it goes on the next verse to be a little gross, so I won't read it. Um, But we see that Ehud, God uses to deliver his people in a unique way. Let me give you two things as we finish in this area. Number one, we see unique leadership. God chooses a very unique man to be the human vessel he uses to bring deliverance to his people. And the specific uniqueness of Ehud was this, that he, had, uh, he, would, he could not wield, uh, seems to be the indication of the text here, could not wield a weapon in his right hand. Now, later in Judges, it talks about a whole group of Benjamites who were very accurate as archers and as mili- with their military prowess because they were left-handed. So we're not sure if this is a reference to, um, to Ehud having either a deformity or a disability or just he was gifted Uh, specifically, uh, he was left-handed in his uh, war prowess. Um, And so we see he was unique in um, his gifting, unique in his abilities. And basically, the idea is this, because traditionally a man would fight with their right hand, the fact he could not, and I I think that's where I would lean maybe toward he did have a disability, as they noticed this limitation on his part and gave him access to a king they never would have given, uh, to anyone else that would have had a traditional way of fighting battle. So he puts the, on the opposite thigh, so being on his right thigh, where normally you would not. You know when they like, um, you know, pat you down at the, at the airport or, you know, you go through the metal detector or whatever and, hey, could I see under that collar or whatever, they pat him down, but they only pat the left thigh because that's traditionally where uh, it would have been located. And so he goes in, he gets, goes under the radar, if you will, with this unique uh, way that he is wired and, and constructed and given access to the king that others would not. And so we see in the story, because of that, he kills this king. And uh, he is used by the Lord to deliver God's people because of his unique gifting uh, in how God had made him. Now, just this thought before we move on, because there's a spiritual truth here. In Scripture, over and over, you see the right hand is the symbol of strength, Right? Um, And I don't have time to give you all of the examples, um, but God swears by his right hand. He has pleasures at his right hand forevermore. Um, His chosen sit at his right hand. There's all kinds of instances where the, the hand of favor is the right hand. And yet here we see God chooses a man who doesn't have that strength and ability in the traditional hand, the right hand. He instead chooses a man uh, who is using his quote unquote weaker hand a surprising choice, a man who possibly even was physically handicapped. And yet that's the one that God chose to deliver his people with. Um, In fact, back in verse 20, you notice he says, I have a message from God unto thee. God chose him specifically to deliver this message via a blade. And here's just the thought as it relates to God's deliverance in our day. Often the reason we have lost hope in our present generation is because we are looking for the ideal leader instead of being led by and delivered by the overlooked one. Who is it in your life that God's put there for a reason to influence you and lead you, but they don't fit the mold and therefore you tune them out? You, you restrict their influence and their access to your heart, your home, your life. God works in unique ways. Being open to that which he sends our way that's not quote-unquote ideal, but is what he has sent. And so these left-handed options that God sends our way are often 
uh, the symbol of his deliverance. I love in Moses, God comes to him and says, I'm going to have you lead out my people from bondage. And Moses is like, I can't talk, and i got all these limitations. And what does God ask him? He says, what's in your what? Your hand. Just take what's there. And I think for many of us, where we forget God and don't come back to God is because we're waiting for some big bolt of lightning instead of taking full access and responsibility for who and what he has put in our path, no matter how unique or even to others strange it may seem, being open to his working. All right, and then lastly, verses 27 and following, we don't have time to read these. Number two, we see unique victory. And I'll just summarize them, verses 27 to 30. By the time they discover the king is dead, he's able to escape because he locks the doors of the room. By the time they come in and discover Ehud is long gone, he's already got the Israelites together, he's leading them, and he's conquering. It says that in verse 29, he killed about 10,000 men, by the way, who were lusty or strong and vibrant, the traditional leaders. Uh, God used this man to defeat them because he was God's leader. And so we see this provision of God of unique victory. Lastly, verse 31, we only have one verse on him, would be the third judge of chapter 3. And after him was Shamgar, son of Anath, which slew of the Philistines 600 men with an ox goad, and he also delivered Israel. And so we see this one verse, a reference to the next judge, Shamgar, slew 600 men with an ox goad. And I don't know, I grew up in the dairy, my dad was a dairy farmer growing up. I didn't grow up in it, but he did. You ever seen those little zappers they use? That's what I think of with pigs, you know, got a little electric shock in them. This would be pre that, but they would prompt animals. They would direct animals with just a sharp stick, with a little stick. And this man would just that kill 600 men. Again, using unique things, unique people to bring deliverance to God's people. Now, what's the spiritual import of this or application of this? God using unique things. You do know that when the judge Jesus came, he also was a bit unique, right? Um, Isaiah is clear that he had no form about him that we would desire him. He was despised. He was rejected of men. In fact, Jesus conquered his enemies through his weaknesses, did he not? He became weak. He became sin and defeated death, hell, and the grave, as we'll celebrate in a few weeks around Easter season. Uh, He did all of that through his weakness Um, and yet did not have the flaws that we see in these leaders, Ehud, who used deception, Um, Barak, who needed assistance, Uh, you have Jephthah with rashness, you have Gideon with his ambition, we'll talk about all of these. Uh, Samson with his sexual weaknesses and deviancy, all of these flaws. Jesus did not have those, but he was a weak man uh, from man's perspective. He was an outsider, and yet he is the one God chose to be the judge, the deliverer. And may I just say this bluntly this morning, if we have access to the ultimate deliverer and judge, which is Jesus, then there is hope no matter how forgetful and how repetitive we have been in our failures. Because he is faithful this morning. We have access to that judge. We have access to that Jesus. And so every generation has more than an outside chance to see God work uh, in its day. All right, look here in the text as we finish verse 9 and verse 15. And notice this pattern that precedes the deliverance. Verse 9, and when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. Verse 15, but when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. 
Revival this morning, renewal of God's people, is not for an exclusive few. It's for anyone willing to pay the price, anyone willing to count the sacrifice of their attention, their thoughts, their emotions, their time to center it upon God. We act like revival just happens out of nowhere. Revival happens because we choose to remember God. We choose to respond to the prompts that are always around us, reminding us of his grace, reminding us of his goodness, reminding us of his love. Uh, A friend of mine who is a photographer, I don't know how he got this picture, but this is a, he took this with one of his his, um, lenses. This is a zoomed in picture of our son. And then he superimposed over the sun at scale, the earth. That's, that's, we're not that close to the sun or we would not be talking this morning, okay? But that's the scale between the sun and the earth. Here, let me give you this thought as we finish. We never fully forget God because he'll never let us with sun kind of things in our lives. But I'm telling you, we can't ignore him. You know what that does for me? That gives me a lot of hope because that means if we can change that, which we can, then we can come back to God. We can know God. We can have relationship with God at levels that maybe our own parents and grandparents didn't experience. We can see things turn. We can see things change because we choose to remember instead of ignore the God who never forgets his people. Here's the question and we'll pray. Will you allow God to free you in every generation you influence from the despair of forgetful abandonment and the despair of forgetful repetition. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today.